Today we continue our sermon series, Wholehearted Faith in a Divided World, in part today addressing a question that many of you asked, how do I talk about faith in a world like we live in? Listen to this reading from the Gospel of Mark. It's a little different than the ending of Matthew's with the Great Commission. Mark 16, beginning at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Some of you may have heard me tell the story about how years ago I was on a flight from Kansas City to Chicago. The woman sitting next to me kept trying to figure out what I was reading and writing, and eventually she could see it was a sermon, and figuring out I was a clergy person, she confided in me that she was scared to death. She was going to Chicago for a convention, but not just any convention, a convention of Halloween retailers. You know, a a convention. It was in the spring, but it was a convention. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, I just know it's going to be full of devil worshipers. And I said, you know, I I kind of doubt that. I, I suspect that some people like you are a Christian, you go to church, and this is just what you do. And maybe, you know, there might be others that aren't Christian, but they're just making a living. And she kind of settled down and, you know, a little reassured. Now, the whole time we were having this conversation, the man in front of her had turned and had his ear in the crack between the seats, and he was trying so hard to listen in. And when he could contain himself no longer, he turned around with his knees in the seat, and looking at her, he said, are you born again? And she said, yeah, and they said, high five, and they gave each other a high five. And then he said, spirit-filled, and she said, yeah, and he said, high five, and they gave each other a high five. I'm not making this up. And then he looked at me, are you born again? And he had his hand up there. And I do not remember what I said, but I made it clear I was a Christian, but I was not high-fiving at 33,000 feet. And you should have seen the look on his face. He was devastated. Centuries ago, a Christian thinker by the name of Soren Kierkegaard said, you know, some things are true when whispered, they become false when shouted. I couldn't agree more. Now, it turns out that the guy in front of us was a preacher himself. 
And when he learned from her that she was scared to death, he said, oh my God, it'll be full of devil worshipers. They'll all be having seances and orgies and drinking cat's blood and casting spells. And in a matter of seconds, in the name of his preaching, he scared her to death. What does it mean to speak about God? This ending in the Gospel of Mark is so unexpected. It's so odd. The women have no clue that it's the first Easter. They're sad. They think Jesus is dead. They have no clue he's been raised. So they go, and then the stone's been rolled away, and there's this heavenly messenger. And when he calms them down, right, then he says, go and tell. And the gospel of Mark ends with, they said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. The early church was so uncomfortable with that ending that they tacked on alternative endings. They're in your Bible. They are alternative endings. They weren't there. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable with it or not. The gospel of Mark ends with silence and fear. And I kind of get that. I've been thinking about what is it that keeps us from talking about faith or Christianity or God, and I honestly think there are some good reasons. Now, I mean, good as in understandable. Like, like, for instance, there's so many varieties of this thing called Christianity. How, how do you talk about it? I'm not talking about world religions. I'm not even talking about denominations. Just varieties there are people who exchange high five over being born again. And there are people who are very quiet and want reverential worship. And there are some people, because of one of those longer endings in Mark, some people handle poisonous snakes and call it worship. If there's all these varieties, how are we going to talk? A, a dear friend last week said, I, she said, I don't know if I'm spiritual. I think she is, but maybe not the way everybody else defines spiritual. What if we're using the same words, but we don't even mean the same thing? How do we talk about the faith? I think the second reason we don't do it is because of our spotted track record. Maybe us personally, but I'm thinking more of the history of Christianity. Our ancestors in the faith burned women they suspected of being witches. How's that for a Halloween scare? Our ancestors in the faith have been homophobic and Islamophobic and misogynistic and racist. Our ancestors in the faith actually went into the Holy Land and killed infidels in the name of God. Does that sound familiar? But... Maybe there's another way to think about it. Not just our track record. I've been thinking about it this way. What if Christianity has a brand problem, a PR problem? Think, think Enron. Think Tylenol, if you can remember the tampering scandal. Think about Volkswagen when they inflated their MPG on diesels. What if, what if for some people when the, the media uses the word evangelical as if it applied to all Christians, in some ways, to talk about our faith is like saying, yeah, yeah, I worked with Bernie Madoff, and everybody cringes. See, in the Gospel of Mark, though, it is not just this ending that's a little bit bizarre and a twist. 
It's the whole thing. 120 years ago, there was a German New Testament scholar who coined a term in the Gospel of Mark studies. It's the messianic secret. And you can read through and you'll, you'll, you'll see it. Here's what he means. All throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says over and over, don't tell anybody about me. What? Yeah, he says it all the time. He says it to evil spirits. He says it to people he heals. He says it to his disciples. Don't tell. Now, some of them, you, you can kind of figure out why, because they just don't even get it. But even those who've caught on, he says, don't tell. Wait until the resurrection. And then you get to the end. It's the resurrection. And the messenger says, now, go tell. And it says, they said nothing. They were afraid. And some of us have been following in their footsteps ever since. I have a couple of good reasons why we might want to try. The, the first one comes from one of my mentors, Tom Long. He uses this analogy. He says, imagine a world in which it is illegal to make music, to listen to music, to play an instrument, to sing, to hum, no music. Now, of course, because it's outlaw doesn't mean people don't do it in private in their homes. It becomes this private thing, but you can't talk about it. Well, Long says that would never work. We would revolt. We would say, you can't stop us from making music. You can't stop us from talking about it because, he says, we are musical. There is something in us, in the human, that is musical. Well, then, he says, the same is true for being spiritual. We are all of us spiritual. And when you are spiritual by nature, it will be normal to talk about it, even if some people prefer a different genre. The second, I think, good reason requires a kind of different analogy. Imagine that you are in sales in the used car department at a dealer. This is tough stuff right now. And your manager, he has one of those big whiteboards in his office and everybody sees it that works there. It has everybody's numbers and yours for the last couple months, really bad. And when anybody drives on the lot, he barks out, get out there and sell those people a car. Even if they're driving on the lot with a new one that they're just getting an oil change, get out there and sell those people a car. You, you feel the pressure of that? <laughs> That is the exact opposite of talking about faith. It's not a contest of persuasion. You don't put somebody in a headlock until they surrender. You don't force it. It's a kind of, it's a kind of sharing of what, of what you think, maybe even what you doubt. And then equally important, listening to what they have to say. If I'm being honest, there is another good reason not to talk about it. And it's probably the one I hear the most because it's pretty fair. People say, I don't know what to say. That's legit. I mean, I don't think the answer is to have a memorized speech because then you just sound like the car dealer who says, let me go talk to my manager. Or what if I threw in mats, floor mats? Would that get you? 
I think it, it just needs to come from the heart. So imagine I got you another job. You're now a barista. You make those fancy drinks at the roastery over here in Brookside. And for months, every Sunday morning, I come in, slacks, dress shirt, a tie. It's pretty obvious I'm probably going to church. And then one quiet Sunday morning, I say, well, off to church. And because it's quiet, you say, huh, so where, where do you go? What, what, what does this thing mean to you, this God thing? I wouldn't, for a moment, play the clergy card. That would set me back. But here's what I would say. Something like this. I would say, well, in college, my life was totally about partying. And God turned me around, set me on a different trajectory. But I'd be really quick to add, I don't think of Christianity as just being about a partying lifestyle or four-letter words spewing out. I'd say something about hunger, not world hunger, hunger even in our streets. And I would say something about mental illness and houselessness, the two very wrapped up. And I would say something about war, the one in Ukraine and the one in Israel, and how God's heart must break, just break. And I think Christianity is about doing something about that. And when I, you know, sort of ran out of words, I'd take a sip of my hot tea and I'd say, well, what do you think? What do you, what do you make of this God thing, this Christian faith? 